All right, welcome back, everyone. This is episode number eight of the Faultline podcast. We are remotely attending IBC this week. I'm joined by Faultline's editor, Tommy Flanagan. Hello. And my Rethink TV colleague, Rafi Cohen. Hello. And uh, yeah, been a busy week. We're cracking on with the forecast. And usually, Tommy, we'd be in Amsterdam right about now, uh, attending the wonderful IBC stealing as many free beers as we can and attending some juicy conversations maybe sitting in on some technical webinars so without much further ado we're going to do our best going to bring the IBC experience to the reader without actually visiting Amsterdam so Toby uh, can you tell us more about IBC 2020 virtually bereft of innovation disruption and startups I, I wonder what this could be about cheers Alex good intro yeah um, so rather than doing the usual sort of TLDR of one of the week's biggest stories I thought thought I'd do things a bit differently this week and try and give a sort of overall sense of the IBC showcase because usually uh, at IBC you know as well as writing out the 30 or 40 interviews we've done we publish a like a lengthy piece that tries to kind of portray a flavor from the from the show floor looking at what what was kind of hot what what wasn't hot what was missing what vendors were slagging each other off that sort of thing and we're known for being brutally honest here, so I will say that I was massively let down by the first virtual IBC. I know that hosting a webinar format will never come close to the real thing, and people have made the best of a bad situation, and, and a lot of these virtual events has kept us going through through lockdown. But seriously, it has to do it a lot better than, than this, and we can sit here and get all soppy and sentimental about IBC and how much... We, we wish we were necking a few pints down at the beach bar, but the IBC showcase program fundamentally was seriously weak. And we've done a lot of these events this year, and some of the vendor events have, frankly, embarrassed what IBC have put on this week. And if an actual event company of this scale can't do better than a single vendor can do, then what's the point, basically? So... <laughs> um, this is probably going to be put down to a case of budget, but... You know, and and startups is is one of the the big pain points for me. And if they'd sort of just invited I don't know, a whole bunch of startups on free of charge and, and did a panel and pitted them against each other, that that could have made for a proper event because that's one of the the best things about going to these sorts of events for us is meeting exciting startups, and that's made it in identifying innovation quite tricky for us. Although we still do plenty of startup interviews, as our readers will know. And a few vendors have spun up these sort of virtual booths, which were kind of cool, but also a bit of a gimmick. Um, but maybe if that was kind of scaled up into a virtual hall, then we could be onto something. But again, that's that's probably a cost issue. Um, and don't by any means think that the disappointing show made for disappointing content in this week's fault line, because there were some gems in there. Um, um, some of the bright spots were the accelerator program called TV Delivered as Objects, uh, which was a proof of concept involving the BBC and, the, and ITV, um, as well as a, a bunch of vendors, including a cool startup called Alluvio, who um, we interviewed uh, last year, and they do some neat things in, uh, with an overlay uh, network for video delivery. But the best panel by far um, was the AO Media-led one featuring Fangit, which is uh, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, Intel, Tencent. And we um, actually, by some miracle, got a couple of questions answered by Facebook's David Ronker, who was refreshingly honest about AV1 being power-hungry and slow, and he told us that the uh, SVT AV1 codec has, has worked wonders in lowering the computational complexity. 
even went as far to say that this could compete with HEVC and VP9 on a standalone basis, which was interesting. Although he wouldn't answer our questions about LCEVC as an alternative to SVT AV1, but we'll follow up that at some point. And um, another thing I'd like to add um, at the end of this rant is that I might actually lose the plot if I have to sit through another PowerPoint slide of someone setting the scene for the media and entertainment landscape and listen to someone waxing lyrical about how Netflix is the market leader and pay TV subscribers are dropping off uh, like they think that they've just discovered it for them th themselves for the, for the first time and we should all be amazed. Um, my five-week-old son could probably do that job. Um, uh, so, yeah, that's my rant over. I don't know if there's anything you boys would like to add while we're on a IBC uh, 2020. Well, I mean, it, it might be worth changing the flow and I'll just jump into my rant because it's broadly similar. Um, so this week I, I attended the Journey to the Edge uh, panel, which was one of the IBC you know, virtual events. And it was meant to be a question of whether media and entertainment is a leader or a follower in the journey to the edge but halfway through it you were sitting there going they haven't really made a point yet i haven't reached the you know sort of conclusion that i thought they were going to lead me towards and i know it can be difficult if you don't have a live audience to sort of read I mean, like, I've moderated a bunch of events. You can tell when someone said something and the audience has perked up or or you just start seeing the hands flying up because, you know, they, a juicy point has arrived. So I know there's a definite risk that one of these virtual events ends up just being this echo chamber. But, yeah, about halfway through, I'm sitting there going, well, here's AWS explaining why visual effects artists are so sort of sensitive to latency. And AWS is a cloud provider. And the panel was sort of sponsored by Equinix, which does data centers. And then we had someone from Red Bee Media on as well, um, which was the, the Ericsson spin-out. And you're sort of sitting there going, well, this lot all seem very convinced that the edge is very important. But they haven't really explained why. And I get the feeling it would have been better in person because people like us would have been able to wave hands at them and actually ask them this. But... We got all the way to the end and, and just the sort of the general consensus for those of you who aren't sort of keyed into the, the cloud edge sort of dichotomy is that cloud computing is very remote and because it's very remote, you can sometimes have issues of latency, but the edge stuff is bringing the compute power, the actual physical servers and whatnot closer to you. And that's you as a end user, it's you as an end viewer, it's you as the production house so that you can enjoy cloud computing with lower latency so the visual effects stuff was people trying to do remote editing and workloads and if they're trying to drag a mouse around or scrub through a file it's going to be torture if they have additional latency built into the workflow and if you're doing live production or content ingest and that stuff it's again like it's better when the latency is lower but then you're sitting there watching this discussion take place and you think, well, that's a really niche problem, visual effects artists. And if we just stick on VFX, if the idea for VFX to move from an on-premises architecture to the cloud was to enjoy the flexibility of cloud computing and the OPEX model and not having to buy the equipment outright and running it and all that, if that is the main problem, then 
how do you reconcile the fact that the cloud provider, if they're going to do edge stuff for you, is going to charge you more of a margin? They're already charging you their profit margin. So if we're on to like a 30-40% margin on the equipment already, at what point are you then looking at your purchasing decisions and going, I'm a big VFX studio, I should probably buy this stuff and move it back in-house. Like, I just wonder if there's this risk that that whole concept for this apparent flagship edge uh, case study is just that it's going to end up too expensive and you'll get a better user experience if you bring everything back in-house. And yeah, it was just, it was a muddled sort of clash where everyone seemed on the same page, but like you're trying to read that page through the front cover of a book. Like it was just, it was really difficult. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the sort of end of my rant, I guess. Um, which, uh, yeah, it's, it should be better next year, you know, <laughs> like hopefully we're back in person. Um, but yeah, a lesson learned, I think, if the IBC lot hear this, or if anyone in our audience knows people in the IBC production groups, like, please, please let them know. It was somewhat painful. Um, so yeah, that's that's the end of my rant. So now it's Rafi's turn. Um, so Rafi, this week, you were doing the political gold rush will sustain a radically shifted ad industry. So can you tell us more? Yeah, well, all week I was listening to both of you slag off the IBC event, so I thought <laughs> I thought I'd go somewhere else. Um, and yeah, it was yeah, overall, it, you know, it wasn't so painful as a as an audience member. The the one uh, problem I had with it was they didn't have the names of the panelists underneath any of their video links, so it was really hard to keep up with who was saying what and uh, what company they were representing. But I uh, made do, and um, so yeah, it was a uh, they had various people from the ad industry. It was mainly people from. Um, ad tech but then they also had a, a they had one kind of media cable company and then they also had a kind of an ad buyer for like uh, political parties and issue advocacy and so it was just kind of like a you know a big round table of people from all sides of advertising mainly just you know it was mainly a big ca- a post-covid catch-up seeing how everyone's doing and i get one of the most striking things about it was just that most people seem to say that business has more or less returned to normal and we said like you know We've seen there was a big dip in ad spend around April when there were big lockdowns and certain sectors completely stopped advertising. But at least on the ad tech side of things, most people managed to retain business just by, you know, uh, offering things like attribution, allowing people to be thrifty with their money and getting return on their spend. And so we had a um, really positive talk from people like Centriply and TV Squared, who both kind of do attribution. Um and Joe Kinsella, who was representing TV Squared, also made quite a good point that now people on the buying side of ads are getting really into attribution, and she thinks this this could be like the final na- the final nail in the coffin for um, the upfronts, which already seem to be on the rocks since they're not allowed in Corona times anyway. Um, so you know those those could be um, heading away, and then and then the other main thing that we realised was that if if another lockdown was to occur and loads of ad spend was to kind of die away then it kind of seems at least for the next few months that it doesn't really matter because both political parties in America are going to be chucking so much money at every single TV ad space as they possibly can that they're just going to be sustained. Uh, we had um, we had Evan Tracy from National Media who was just saying that this is the busiest they've ever seen. This is more than any other election. This is going to be a video election because... Uh, you know, you just can't you can't have crowds gathering anywhere. I mean, Trump may try, but you can't you can't have crowds gathering in in places too much. And so, uh, it just sounds like they're literally working as hard as they can to get political ads in every single spot possible. 
So even if hospitality ads haven't really returned yet, even if you know the, the automotive ads haven't really returned yet, um, you know polit political ads are still going to be there and definitely going to be uh, fueling the ad industry. There was also a debate about whether whether certain sectors as they return whether they're going to go for kind of linear broadcast or more targeted advertising and i think the general consensus was that political will always go for broadcast just because they want to reach as many people as possible but things like there was a bit of a debate about automotive whether or not they kind of prefer the have it going for broadcast in local regions and keeping within their local communities or whether they like the targeted advertising thing uh, unsurprisingly the guy from sinclair thought that they preferred linear um, and then there was a bit of an awkward moment at the end when uh, the the host uh, Rick Ho was asking everyone what they'd like to see change in the ad industry, and um, Joe Kinsella from TV Squared said she'd like to see more facts, more accuracy, and to not be the only woman in the pan on the panel. And then he made some really strange joke about avocado toast, which he kind of muttered, and I didn't really understand what what the actual gist of it was. But it seems to be some kind of jibe at millennial culture you know, wanting equality. But yeah, that was a bit of a strange note to end on. But then, yeah, there were some other good points. Uh, someone from Insight Media said, uh, we need to stop letting uh, advertisers cherry pick inventory because it devalues all the other inventory and creates friction. And then there was a lot of talk of just automating the auction process. So yeah, it was just, it was just a catch up. Everyone seems to be in relatively good shape. And uh, I guess they're just thinking about how to, how to change for a post-COVID world. Yeah. Well, as, as three white dudes working in tech, I mean, we're very aware of uh, sensitivity issues. So, yeah, mm. no, no avocado jokes from us, hopefully. I think that's two weeks in a row we mentioned avocado now. Yeah. <laughs> go read <laughs> go for sponsorship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if you're an avocado supplier, hit us up. We will yeah. we'll gladly sponsor you. So we'll, we'll change up the format again, Rafi. We'll turn to your um, five years from now in a minute. Um, Tommy, your highlight from worth noting. What's caught your eye? Well... As we're on an events um, hype thing, I thought I might as well mention that NAB 2021 in Las Vegas has been moved from its usual slot in April to October, mid-October 2021, which does uh, incidentally clash with NAB show New York. So the organisers are going to shift that somewhere else in, in the year. Um, so uh, that means that this time next year, we're going to have, if events are, are back to normal, we're going to have IBC... Um, and NAB in, in back-to-back months, so it's going to be mental, and I can't wait. Although I've probably been blacklisted now. Yeah, yeah, we've been knocked a few rungs down the uh, priority <laughs> ladder, I think. Um, so my little point when we were discussing what to write about this week, I floated the idea of looking at the Mulan results. Uh, the initial small market uh, stuff is quite promising, and we don't have any data on the Disney Plus viewership but next week there should be more information from the major uh, theatrical release weirdly it didn't debut in china uh, china is a week behind like the czech republic so i can't quite work that out um so we'll keep our sort of eyes peeled for some for some news on that so rafi five years ago what was happening in fault line uh yeah five years ago Ericsson had just acquired US video encoding company Invivio. Uh, this was to expand its video compression strategies. Um, we thought the $125 million price tag was pretty hefty, considering it only had $32 million in the bank. Um, and just the week before, the stock market had valued it at $54 million. Um, so this was definitely a premium price tag, but it looked like this was kind of almost an act of revenge because Amazon had just swiped 
uh, the leading US encoding firm, Elemental Technologies. And, you know, uh, Ericsson must have been a bit bitter about this because they've been working with Elemental on the Ericsson virtualized encoding platform, the EVE. And so you reckon a sense of loss probably spurred them into action. Um, you know, it, NVIDIA was kind of the second prize. They did kind of come second place, but it still had around 300 TV service providers as clients, including AT&T, Comcast, Liberty Global, Sky, and Telstra. And the other bit of news from uh, from that week from IBC was that um, Ericsson had just been selected to integrate AT&T's DirecTV and Uverse platforms. Uh, it was a big contract, but it was a bit of a poison chalice because um, Ericsson owned the remnants of Media Room, which was the architecture that was set up to be replaced at Uverse. So yeah, that was IBC five years ago. Which just so happens was my first ever IBC. And I, I remember writing up the um, the AWS Elemental deal as soon as it came in, and my boss came back from an interview into the press room, and um, um, and I, I said I'd written up the story, and he said, no, I'm taking it, and he just pulled my story and just, just demolished the story <laughs> and wrote his own version of it. Which, was obviously, <laughs> which is obviously a lot better because um, I was new on the scene. But yeah, that was my first taste of IBC. And now five years later, it looks like Elemental was uh, an absolute steal. And um, um, they got, uh, Amazon got the best deal, obviously, there with what happened uh, with MediaKind. I think so. So yeah, that was it. That was episode eight of the Faultline podcast. Remember, you can go and find our stuff online at rethinkresearch.biz. You can sign up for a free trial of Faultline. You can get 12 articles there instead of just these three. Uh, Rethink TV is our research wing. Um, keep your eyes peeled for a multi-CDN forecast that's coming coming along, moving along nicely. Uh, and Tommy, do we have a preview of anything for next week, or are we all we, IBC'd out? We do. Well, as well as being my birthday next week, as you know, uh, we have a media briefing from NAGRA, first thing Monday morning, and a catch-up call with Anivia next week, who do cool things with encoding and CDN and cloud EVR, and only a few weeks ago were snapped up by Atem. So I'm looking forward to getting the full lowdown on that deal and where Anivia slots into the Atem roadmap and, and around personalized, personalized TV and stuff, because uh, these are quite complementary product lines. It looks quite exciting. So yeah, that's it for next week. All right, well, fingers crossed on that. And that's it from us for now. Goodbye. Cheers, then. See you.